Is this the master plan? You're gonna stop me by telling me you love me? Well, I was gonna walk you off a cliff and hand you an anvil, but you seem kind of cartoony. Still making jokes. I'm not joking. I know you're in pain. I can't imagine the pain you're in. And I know you're about to do something apocalyptically evil and stupid, and hey, I still want to hang. You're Willow. Don't call me that. The first day of kindergarten, you cried because you broke the yellow crayon. And you're too afraid to tell anyone. You've come pretty far, ending the world, not a terrific notion. But the thing is, yeah, I love you. I love crayon breaky Willow, and I love scary veiny Willow. So if I'm going out, it's here. If you want to kill the world, well, then start with me. I've earned that. You think I won't? It doesn't matter. I'll still love you. Welcome to Welcome to Storybrooke. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And this is episode 11 of season 4, Shattered Sight, or... Or chapter 11 of book 5. Annihilation. We are recording in a hotel room at Emerald City Comic Con this week, which has nothing to do with the podcast. Other than that, you should know that we love you so much that we are taking a break from conning to record. Yes, and also that we have finally ran out of our massive backlog of recorded episodes. Oh, yeah. Need to start building that back up again. We need to, like, take a week off work and do nothing but record. Hey, if you want to help us take a week off work and do nothing but record, feel free to donate to our Patreon. You can uh, find that Patreon at our website, ilovetelevisionzines.com. So that's our episode for this week. (laughs) Yeah, okay, let's get into it. I'm actually really excited to talk about this episode. I... Really enjoyed it. Yeah. The season ended strong. It really didn't have any weak points. It had some weird points, but... You mean the part where we discovered that that there was a protection racket run on David's farm by the warlord Little Bo Peep? That yeah. weird part? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, to catch you up, the Snow Queen has cast the spell of Shattered Sight over the entire town, which means everyone's a huge asshole. So it's pretty much business as usual. Yep, yep. The only people who are immune are Emma and Elsa. Because the Snow Queen has designed it so that they will be immune because... Okay, can we... Her plan is everyone in town will be taken over except Emma and Elsa. And then... Step two. And then they will be her sisters? Yeah, there's definitely a series of question marks there. Okay, so yeah, so Emma and Elsa are immune for that reason. Also, Rumpelstiltskin is immune because he's the dark one. Okay, that's... Uh, whatever. Also, Anna is immune because... Anna. Anna. Anna is immune because she was under the spell before, and apparently this is a one-and-done thing. Yeah, it inoculates you after the first time. So, back in the 80s in Boston... Oh, yes. The last episode ended with Ingrid coming over into our world, or rather being sent into our world by the Sorcerer's Apprentice, and 
We knew it was the 80s. We talked about where it was she came through. We know now from the Chiron on this episode that it was Boston. Mm. It's Vancouver playing for Boston. And, yeah, she's just wandering around like Enchanted or Blast from the Past, all like, hey, I'm a fairy tale character in the modern day, and I have no idea what's going on or where I am or what a car is. And I have to say, she walks past a couple of street punks with, like, their stereotypical street punk mohawks in what I can't help but assume is a nod to Star Trek IV, the one with the whales. That was a production assistant in that movie. It was a production assistant in that movie, and he came back for the new movie for a cameo. Did he still have his mohawk? He did not. Anyway, in our world, Ingrid sees a fortune teller yeah a psychic with the neon palm sign and goes in to get her fortune i kind of love this scene i super love this woman it's like she's trying really really hard to be bernadette peters yeah from into the woods yeah she comes out all like Oh, witchy, oh. and I am Faustina. I see the future. Also, how will you express your gratitude? And she's very, she moves her hands a lot. She's very expressive with her gestures. Okay, listen though, if you're gonna name yourself something, maybe not Faustina, the person who made a deal with the devil and then was banished to hell for it. I mean, just spitball in here. Like, maybe think about that name for a little longer. So she tries to do a cold read on Ingrid. Ingrid tells her that she's been looking for a girl. So she's like, I see that you're looking for a girl, a special girl whose name is Susan, which, by the way. That's not how cold reading works once Cold reading error 101, especially because the name she came up with was Susan. If she had just been like, I see the letter S, then Ingrid would have filled in for Swan. You don't start with names. You start, like you said, you start with letters. And one of the name, there are two letters specifically you start with. J and M. Okay. So she could have been, I see, I see a J. No, no. An M. and Neither of those would have really worked, though. M. Oh, maybe. Also, like you said, she shouldn't have started with a name. I mean, she shouldn't have gone straight to what her name is anyway. It should have been like... I see her relationship to you. She's your daughter? No. Sister? Like, yeah. that's... I, I don't know anything about cold readings other than seeing the Amazing Randy documentary and living in the world. And I still feel like I could have sat down and cold read Ingrid better than this bitch. Also, okay. cold reading. Uh, Maybe because of her ice powers, Ingrid's immune from cold readings. Uh, but... This very quickly stops being a psychic reading and becomes a mugging because Ingrid paid for this psychic reading with her fancy... Crystal necklace of some sort. Yeah. Which I will point out. So so she leaves and Faustina's like, okay, there's something wrong you with you. You need to get the fuck out of here. And she threatens her with a baseball bat and Ingrid tries to blast her and realizes her blasts don't work and leaves. Later, she's got that necklace back. So we don't see the scene where she came back and, like, killed Faustina in her sleep, but I think that's what happened. Okay, but my thing is, if someone, if you're providing a fake service like being a psychic to someone, and there are psychics in Boston, there was a... There are psychics everywhere. 
Yeah. But uh, isn't this sort of just a mugging? Because she didn't provide a service or anything. She just took something from her and then threatened her with a baseball bat. I mean, only to the extent that you could say all psychic services are a mugging. I mean, she's not... Well, you're usually you're getting something out of it, like a false sense of security or... I mean, I suppose you're paying for the experience, even if it's not a, a good experience, but... I mean, psychics aren't real. She had no way of knowing this woman came from a world where she was expecting her to be real. Mm. Although, she is a terrible cold reader. I don't know how she's lasted this long as a psychic. Because she's just straight up mugging people. Oh. Alright, you know what? You're right. She is. She is just straight up mugging people. Anyway, Ingrid's like, yeah, I know the savior's name isn't Susan because the sorcerer's apprentice gave me this scroll that let me know that her name is going to be Emma Swan, which is the weirdest, most literal prophecy ever. The prophecy is like, the savior's name is Emma Swan and she will show up in Storybrooke on her 28th birthday. Yeah. Which, I mean, hey. It happened. More prophecies should be like that. Anyway, in Storybrooke in the present day... Shit is going down, and Storybrooke denizens are just terrible at werewolf protocol because all of the dwarves and granny are just running around the main street. Beating the crap out of each other. Which, Grumpy at very least knew this was coming. We don't know if any of the other dwarves did. Grumpy did. Okay, Grumpy was super psyched that this was going to happen. This is totally a Grumpy, you killed zombie (laughs) Flanders moment. This is his chance to get out there and just be himself. With no consequences. And in the jail cell where people have secured themselves, it's amazing because Mary Margaret and David are just yelling at each other. Mary Margaret's like, you're not even really a prince. You're just a fucking shepherd who pretended to be a prince and is now like acting like you're a king because you fuck me. And he's all like, and that's not even good because you're just a spoiled little princess. And you know what? No lies. No lies detected. Although, we're seeing a real healthy dose of classism from uh, Snow here. Yeah, because she's a fucking spoiled princess. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, if this was bringing out her worst quality, she would be just pointing out the bad stuff about David. The fact that he's a shepherd isn't a bad thing. It's everything else about him that's bad. Yeah, it's like in Rick and Morty when they go through detox, but detox is the thing that you consider toxic. Mm. So for Rick, that was caring about other people. Yeah. Because he's the villain of that show. Yeah. I love Rick and Morty, sometimes despite certain elements of its fandom. I feel like that's a thing for most media in general. You kind of have to ignore the fandom. Certain elements of, of the, the fandom. fandom. No one who listens to us is part like there. Are, I'm sure there are Rick and Morty fans in our audience, and I'm sure none of them are the kind of toxic fans that we're talking about. It's a good show, especially when you recognize that it's about a toxic man mm. destroying the lives of everyone. It's basically about how terrible Batman is. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, also at the sheriff's station is Kristoff and Anna, and Kristoff is like. I just realized that you delayed our marriage for, like, 30 years, and that's super not cool. And why would I even want to marry you? He points to uh, Mary, Margaret, and David, and he's all, Hey, if this is what marriage is like, then I'm glad that you're an awful person who clearly doesn't care about marrying me because you've been putting it off for several decades at this point. I think we've been pretty down on Anna's weird pseudo-Buffy speak. Hmm. But I really liked it in this episode. I especially like this moment where she's like, I know you don't mean it, 
but it's really painful, so I'm just going to go be with my sister and leave you here where you can't hurt anyone except me with your words. Yeah, I still don't like Anna. Okay, I, I know as we were watching it, you were not coming around on Anna as much as I was, but I came around on Anna this episode. Although, man, man, are we going to have some things to say about unearned stuff when we get to the climax of this episode. Anyway, off to the side of the sheriff's station where Emma and Elsa are. Emma has baby Neil who's asleep, I guess. I mean, babies can't really do much to hurt other people, so... Well, actually, he's crying, but the crying is 80 yard, and the actual baby that she's holding isn't crying, but it's on the audio track. It's real quiet. I, I could barely... Because the sound mixers had to prioritize Anna coming over to tell them that according to that legend about the mirror that she knows... Uh, the fake legend that this show made up... The only way to stop the spell of Shattered Sight is to kill the person who cast it. Okay, uh, quick question. When Anna was under the spell of Shattered Sight before, mm. how did she come out from it? Uh, she did something she regretted really hard? Yeah, that's... that's... Yeah, okay. It should end as soon as you kill the thing you love the most. That's when it should end. Oh, maybe it has to play out. Mm. Like, maybe the choices are you end it by killing the person who cast it, or it plays out. And, like, if David and Mary Margaret stabbed each other in the heart that they share, oh, then they would stop being under the sight. Yeah. But at what cost? No cost. Because <laughs> they're terrible. <sighs> so, Emma's... Like, okay, I guess we have to go kill her now. So she tosses the baby to Anna, because obviously Elsa's coming to back her up. And Anna's basically useless. I mean, poor Anna. I don't trust her with kids. Oh, yeah, this was a dumb decision on their part, even giving her that much responsibility. She's a clumsy young adult novel heroine, and... She's never had to deal with children, and now she's going to have to protect this baby from all of the people who are under the spell of Shattered Sight and might come and try to kill the baby. Spoiler alert. And what's Anna going to do? Nothing. Anna's not going to do anything. Also, Anna has to stop the Charmings from strangling each other through the bars. What I like is a little bit of background uh business where Kristoff throws a bundle of paper at David. Yes, and Kristoff is just like yelling at them for fighting. I do like, even though it was dumb to put Anna on baby watching duty, I do like this scene because this whole thing has been about the prophecy involving the three sisters, and we see here the way Anna and Elsa and Emma are a unit. Like, Anna trusts Emma, because Elsa trusts Emma, to take care of Elsa, and they want Anna to be safe because they know that she doesn't have any superpowers. Allegedly. And, yeah, except for her super strength. And, yeah, they are under, like, they're not, she's not fighting and saying, oh, I should be with you, and then sneaking out of the car, like usually happens in these stories. They're recognizing that they all have important things to do and doing the things that they need to do. Let's see how long that lasts. I know, but I just like that they kind of subtly gave us these three sisters as opposed to Ingrid, Elsa, and Emma. So, okay. in her vault, 
Regina's trapped by the spell, which okay, she's trapped by the spell she cast to keep her to keep herself from getting out and murdering everyone. I'm really confused with the stuff that's going on with Regina. So let's like break down what's happening with Regina and then talk about why it doesn't make any sense. She doesn't seem to remember how she got into this situation. Which is not the case for anyone else. Everyone else knows where they are and why. But she doesn't know why she's locked in her vault. And she assumes that the savior did it. Although I do love her line, this is what I get for being subtle. I, I mean, yes. Well, that's the thing, right? Even when this scene with the evil queen makes no sense... Lana Puria delivers, you know? She sees she sees herself in a mirror, and she doesn't recognize the clothes she's wearing, so she... She doesn't recognize herself in mayor garb, so she, you know, does a transformation and puts herself back in evil queen garb, but... And then she looks at herself closer in the mirror, and she says, I've missed you, which... Okay, which is strongly implying that Regina and the Evil Queen are actually two different people. Yeah, they're going to lean really heavily on this later. They've already kind of started it, and it really doesn't make any sense. In all fairness, they recognize it doesn't make sense later in the show, and they kind of walk it back, like what Buffy did in the beginning of Season 7 with, you know, Giles telling Willow that magic's not a drug. Yeah, they kind of half-heartedly walk back the evil queen thing. Also, this seems to imply that anytime she's Regina, she she's a different person. Okay, but she doesn't recognize herself in her mayor garb, which means that she wouldn't remember any of Storybrooke, which doesn't make sense because she was absolutely the evil queen at the beginning of her time in Storybrooke, at least up until when Emma broke the spell. So she would still recognize herself as Regina, the mayor of Storybrooke. And when she thinks that Emma is the one who's locked her in the vault, she clearly knows who Emma is. So... It makes no sense. Okay. You know, I genuinely thought you might, like, tell me something that would make it make sense. Nope. So... Apparently, okay, you know how the show keeps on throwing people who are immune to the spell at us? Yeah. Here comes another one, because apparently not having your heart in your body makes the spell Shattered Sight not affect you. So shouldn't David and Mary Margaret only half be affected by the spell? Maybe they are. Oh, yeah. But yeah, so Hook, which, I mean, it makes sense. If you don't have your heart, all of your emotions are dulled. You still have them, but they're... It's like having your leg fall asleep, except in your emotions. Rumpel is called Hook to him to go fetch Henry so he can carry Henry and Bill over the town line and they can all live happily ever after, because... Yeah, his plan is to get them over the town line, erase their memory, tell them that Storybrooke blew up in an explosion, and the only people who got out were him and the two people he could save, Bell and Henry, and they will be so grateful to him that they will live happily in New York forever, and Bell will never question how he was able to sever himself from the dagger, which, by the way, he's going to do tomorrow night when the stars align. Oh, and why he still has his powers in the real world now. Yep. So, in Ingrid's ice cream shop, which we haven't mentioned in a few episodes, is called Any Given Sunday. Uh. 
she retrieves something special that's been hidden in a fake ice cream tub labeled Carrot Sherbert. See, I think that was clever of her because it's not such an obviously disgusting flavor that no one would, like, want to try it or be like, why do you have that flavor? But yeah, nobody's going to order it. Yeah. At least not in Storybrooke. In Portland, maybe. Okay. People in Portland would definitely order carrot sherbet. In fact, we've only lived there. Well, you, you've lived there longer than I have. I've only lived there three years. And before it was revealed what that was, I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. Mm. Well, there is uh, there is salt and straw, which I recommend you try if you're in Portland. They have lots of really weird sounding flavors that are very good. See, I don't, I don't recommend salt and straw because I don't recommend standing in line for food. Like, I get your thing with salt and straw. You will have to stand in line. I won't stand in line for food in Portland. There's so much good food. You can find something good, like, a block away. Although, I guess if you are visiting Portland and you want the experience, you should try salt and straw. Yeah, it's like Voodoo Donuts. There are better donuts in Portland, but you should go to Voodoo Donuts anyway because, you know, it's, it's an iconic part of going to Portland. I kind of want to try carrot sherbet now. I'm actually pretty sure Salt and Straw has that, or has had that at some point in the past. All right, I'll stand in line. Anyway, so she's got these two weird rock things hidden in the carrot sherbet, and she not sanitary. Well, it's from ice cream. She shoots out of her hand. Also, not sanitary. (laughs) Okay, so there are just people screaming at each other in the background of this scene and then walking off in different directions. Does the spell take a very long time to get to the killing other people phase? It's, you know what, I think it's different for different people because some people are like jumping on each other and going at each other's throats and some people are just yelling meanly at each other. I think it depends on what you personally are like, whether or not you would try to kill a person. Yeah. There's uh, going to be some awkward conversations when the spell is broken. People definitely died during this, right? Like... I don't know. I have a hard time believing that Hansel and Gretel did not either kill their dad or have their dad kill them. No, they probably killed each other. I don't know. The spell seems to go off kind of willy-nilly. Ugh. Anyway, people in the background are yelling at each other but somehow not killing each other. When Emma and Elsa show up to take down Ingrid. And Ingrid points out, hey, you know those two ribbons I used to siphon your magic? I know you still have your magic, but you can't hurt me. Yeah, all of their life forces are one life force now. Because of those ribbons. Which means that they can't hurt each other. Yeah. And she's all like, it's okay. You'll stop caring once I make you love me, for real. And then she just sort of wanders off. So. Okay, so this takes place in Missouri. I know, I was just about to say that. Okay, we go to the flashback. And the flashback this episode is going to be teen Emma living in the foster home with Ingrid. And as Max just said, the Chiron tells us that they're in Missouri. Which is so weird because my reason for guessing that Ingrid was in Boston was that that's where Emma ended up. So it would make sense for Ingrid to be in Boston. But, no. And why is Emma here anyway? Wasn't she taken away? Wait, is this... 
Is this where she ended up with Lily when they were traveling together and then she got taken in by this state's child protective this services? Is, this is Oh, you mean did she end up in Missouri with Lily? Yeah. Oh. I don't remember cuz I thought they were somewhere more middle America y, but I think they were. I don't know. It seems well, child protective services doesn't seem super organized in in the world of once upon a time. Yeah. Here's the thing. This doesn't really make any sense. And there's no reason for it. The Chiron could have just not been there. Like, they raised more questions than they answered by putting that Chiron there. Or if they were going to, they could have just done the year. Oh, I'm glad you said that because the year is 1999. Remember this for later. Yes, the year will be vitally important later. It's 1999. So we're seeing the thing we saw... Uh, in the video they found with Emma's secret stuff where some kid takes her video camera when she's in Ingrid's uh, foster home and Ingrid makes him give it back. So we're seeing that from the not inside a camera part. Right. And the kid threatens. He's like, I'm going to get that camera one way or the other, bitch. Yeah. He's like, you're going to give me back the camera or else I'm going to make your life hell. Whatever. Ingrid's like three feet away when he says this. Yeah. This doesn't seem super bright for me, for him. Because I guess he's just trying to show Emma who's in charge or whatever. Yeah. But, so, it doesn't seem wise to start out this aggressive. I guess it makes sense for someone who's presumably gone through what Kevin's gone through, but... I guess. I mean, we know Emma, so we know it might not be a good idea to get on her bad side immediately. But I guess he doesn't know her, so... Yeah. And in all fairness, instead of setting him on fire in his sleep, what she's decided to do is run away. Which makes sense, because as you pointed out, Lily's out there somewhere waiting for her. She's still pretty pissed at Lily at this point. Yeah, that's true. As, as she's got, coming down the stairs to leave. This is in the middle of the night, by the way. We cut to the middle of the night. Emma's going down the stairs, trying to sneak out of the house, when Ingrid stops her with a cup of hot cocoa. And she does not say it has cinnamon in it, so I choose to believe that that is not the case. Good. She's sitting in the living room when Emma comes down the stairs, which I point out only because the layout here of the stairs, front door, and living room. It's Buffy's house. It's Buffy's house. It's literally Buffy's house. Yeah. And as you know, Max, and as you probably know, our listeners, Joyce Summers in the TV show is a pretty great mom most of the time, Mm. especially in the later seasons. Yeah. Once she gets used to the whole idea of the Slayer. And I think for the most part, up until the end of this conversation, Ingrid is actually being a pretty good mom here. And I think that's important to point out because of how terrible Ingrid's plan is. Like with all of Ingrid's stuff, it's like 90% good plan, 10% what the hell are you thinking? Yeah, Ingrid's just like... I knew you were going to try to run away because I get it. I know what foster kids look like when they're about to run. So I thought I would just be here to be a good mom. I have hot chocolate. If you want it. If you want it. I'm not going to stop you from leaving if you really want to leave. But then she's like, oh, and by the way, Kevin is deathly afraid of spiders and I have some rubber ones in my drawer, which is not good momming. The way she sets it up is she's not telling Emma to do anything. She's just presenting Emma with information. 
it's leading information, but she's very clearly letting Emma make her own choices. She's like, I have hot chocolate. If you want some, it's available to you. You can leave if you want. I would prefer you don't, but you can. I can understand why you wouldn't want to live with someone like Kevin, who's afraid of spiders. Even fake ones, like the ones I have in my drawer upstairs. She's not telling or instructing, she's just presenting. Okay, but, I mean, she is, and... Well, she's leading. Yes, she's absolutely leading, and she's completely culpable. And, you know, I know that she's an evil snow witch from another dimension who's only here to lure Emma into some sort of weird magic cult, but... Kevin is her charge, too, and she has some responsibility towards him. Well, I was like, did she specifically go to the foster agency and be like, I want a real asshole kid who's got a very obvious exploitable weakness? Yeah. And they were like, okay, well, Kevin's a huge jerk, and he's afraid of spiders. There you go. Or do you think, like, she instilled a fear of spiders into Kevin? Okay, that's horrifying, especially because she doesn't have magic. So if she instilled a fear of spiders in him, she would have had to do it the old-fashioned way, so to speak. Yeah. I'm horrified right now. Although that does sort of show way more subtlety than we've ever seen Ingrid have. Yeah, it's true. I think it's safe to say she's just exploiting a previously extant phobia. But Emma does decide to stay and presumably cause Kevin to have some sort of breakdown in order to make him leave her alone. Yeah. Back in the present day, Emma and Elsa run into Gold Shop to try to find him or some mystical way to break the bonds. Because you know he could do that, like, you know. Presumably. I mean, he's the dark one. He's immune from this spell for some reason. So Back on the street, we see people yelling at each other some more. And My favorite people... person is the guy who's in all white. Yeah, there's a guy in all white. I don't know who that is supposed to be. And and he's got, like, a belt in his hand that he's, like, whipping around at people. It's weird. We're not going to see this guy later. <laughs> oh, is he your MVP extra? Uh, yeah, I- I'm going to give him MVP extra. Presumably he was killed by someone off screen. Well, he... We don't see most of these extras later when, spoiler alert, the spell gets broken. We see the dwarves and granny. Well, unlike other people that we do see, he's actually throwing punches at people. So, yeah, he's probably dead. We also see Doc yelling at Dopey to talk. Which is really, really messed up. Yeah. Because Dopey Super doesn't... not cool, dude. Yeah, Dopey doesn't talk. We don't know why, but... Presumably something's going on there and that something will not be... Yelled away? Yeah. Yeah, who does Doc think he is? David? (sighs) Ugh. Speaking of, David and Snow are having petty child fights. Yeah, they're yelling at each other about... You don't know how to swaddle a baby properly. (laughs) Yeah, and Anna tries to talk them out of being mad at each other, which is not working. Mm. And they're really ignoring the much deeper issues that their relationship has for this petty stuff, but I guess it's not the spell of insightful deconstruction. 
Yeah, yeah. It's not the spell of introspection. It's the spell of Shattered Sight. So Kristoff enters the fray. Yeah, which causes David to yell at Kristoff and bring up, why are there even ice men in Arendelle? Everything's frozen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they bring ice to other countries. That's how you know him. Yet you go to where the ice is and you bring it other places. David. That's See, not... this is, you know what? This is his shepherd background showing. If he were a king, he'd understand how trade works. Ooh. So, Anna decides that the reasonable thing is to try to relate to Snow on a cutesy Disney princess level. And Snow's like, hey, I killed Regina's mom. It was super fucked up and no one ever mentions it. And I'm not even sorry. Which? Okay. Yeah. Whatever, Cora was evil. The only thing Snow was really sad about was that she lost the moral high ground. What's weird is she acts like her crime was killing Cora. No, her crime was the fucked up way that she tricked Regina into killing Cora. Yeah, if she just killed Cora, whatever. Because her crime wasn't against Cora. Cora needed to be taken down. Her real crime is against Regina. Isn't it always? Yeah, right? So, back in Gold Shop, Emma comes up with the dumbest idea to destroy the ribbons. The dumbest idea since everything about Ingrid's plan. Yeah. This is, I'm sorry, this is some charmed-ass logic here. She's like, maybe in order to destroy Ingrid's love bands, we're going to need magically enhanced hate. Now, who really hates Emma right now? And who's, who's, got, that not, who's got that sweet, sweet mix of love and hate going on? Turns out, you know... Regina. Yep, so Emma and Elsa go to the mausoleum where Regina is locked in her vault. And Regina... Okay, so Regina smells Emma coming, right? Yeah, she lifts up her head. She can smell the savior in the wind. Yeah, she's reading a book and suddenly, out of nowhere, she just turns her head up and smiles. Yeah, that's a thing that happens. Someone was reading Swan Queen fanfic. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so did they put hand makeup on Ingrid's hands? Because we see her performing ice magic, and her hands look really white. Yeah, I think they might have. I think they might have put some white makeup on her hands. And we see... Honestly, isn't this just to trigger the transition? It is, because she's messing with the rocks, which we will learn shortly, contain memories. And then we're going to go right from that to a memory in the flashback. Now... The memory is of her and Emma playing with a claw machine. You know the claw machine? Yeah, the claw. claw. Right, the claw machine. Now, there are different sized claws. And once you get the claw too big, the three prongs no longer possess the strength required to lift the thing out of the the basin. Hmm. So the claw the size that they are playing with right now is not going to grab you a toy. It's not going to, you're not going to be able to win with that claw in general. But the claw machine that they are playing with has claws where the where the prongs look like they've actually been enhanced. Like, it, it has sturdier prongs than I've ever seen on a claw machine that size. I spent a lot of high school playing the claw machine, and I got really good at the mid-sized one 
On the mid-sized one, I could get a toy basically on every quarter. Mm. But on the big ones, it's nigh on to impossible. I don't really know why this bothered me so much with everything else that happens in this show, but I was just like, that's not how claw machines work. And it's especially not how claw machines work, because she keeps opening and closing the claw. No, you have one chance to position the claw, and you push the button. So, Ingrid and Emma are at a festival, and they're playing, as you could probably tell from this, on the claw machine. Emma's concentrating really hard, and the machine starts sparking. Yep, and Ingrid is encouraging her to... Ignore the sparking, just focus on what she wants to happen. Yeah, Ingrid... Focus on making that happen. Right, Ingrid's trying to awaken her dormant powers. And it works. She picks up the toy, which is a Dalmatian puppy, by the way. It's a Dalmatian puppy that has a ring wrapped around its neck. Yeah, it's got a ring tied by a ribbon around its neck. And it's weird because they act like that's the prize. And the stuffed puppy was just the delivery service, which is true, but weird. Also, the puppy was positioned kind of higher up than the other toys in a way that usually doesn't happen in these machines because it makes it a lot easier to win them. Mm. Which makes me think that this was like... All of this together makes the toy easier to win. And all of this together leads me to believe that some poor fair employee placed that there so that he could use it as a proposal for his girlfriend. It is a cheap-ass ring. He works at a fair! Are you saying that she shouldn't marry him after he went to all of that trouble just because he can't afford to pay three months' salary on a ring? I'm just saying if he can't afford three months' salary on a nice ring, all he needs to do is go through the trouble of mugging someone. It's true. Ingrid's right here and she's super muggable. Yeah. As we saw earlier in Boston. I'm just, my headcanon, by the way, I'm completely convinced based on all the things we saw about that claw. This was a proposal. These two girls have completely ruined it. So Ingrid tells Emma that she's very special. By the way, what happens to the stuffed Dalmatian? Because I don't think it appears after they, uh... Yeah, they tossed aside. Some little kid picked it up. Uh. So Ingrid starts getting really emotional. She hugs Emma. She starts crying. And Emma sees paperwork in her bag. And she's like, oh no. Yes. You're getting rid of me. This is why you took me out for the special day. And Ingrid tells her, no, no, it's the opposite. She's adopting her. She's filling out paperwork to adopt her. And it's really, really sweet. You guys, if Ingrid's plan was to win Emma over, she already has. Yeah, she tells her, I'm filling out the paperwork to adopt you. And I know we keep saying really nice things about her acting, but this actress is so much better than this role calls for. You can see her getting choked up, and there's just so much natural emotion here. It's just, it's like mission fucking accomplished. And she even brings it around to her own weird goals, because she's like, I know that you came into my life when you were 14, so it's weird to think of me as a mother, so think of me as a big sister who takes care of you. And great, look, she's done. She can Mission fucking accomplished. She, she can stop now. See, this is what Ingrid just pushes things. She pushes things too much and too far, and well, let's just see what happens. Yeah, as for right now, Emma's like, yeah, oh, yeah, sure, Emma's big a- sister. Awesome. Emma's so excited to be adopted. She really, and this is important, really loves Ingrid. Yeah. 
and there's just this amazingly well-constructed shot of the two of them hugging from a down-under angle pulling back while the flying swings are behind them, and I don't know if it's supposed to mean anything or anything, but it is just a really well-constructed shot. It is. It's quite lovely. Anyway, we cut from that to back to Elsa and Emma in the graveyard trying to enter Regina's vault. And there's a containment spell around it. And basically all that happens is that Emma concentrates and lowers the containment spell with her magic. Well, she has to try twice because, you know, Regina's more experienced at magic. Yes, but remember Regina couldn't open it. What I would like to think is the case is that when Regina cast it, she cast it so that only Emma would be able to take it down because she trusted that Emma would come and get her after she had succeeded. Man, she had way too much faith in Emma. I mean, it doesn't say that that's what's going on, but I like to believe that that's what's happening. I like to believe that's the plot. Yeah. So, Emma and Elsa enter Regina's tomb. Yeah, and she just does that turn to them when they come in. She's so excited to attack them. By the way, her tombs changed layouts again, but uh, it's, it's Tuesday. Her tomb is a microcosm of Storybrooke itself. So like Storybrooke, it changes the way it's laid out and its size to accommodate the needs. It's the tomb of requirement. The tomb of requirement. Uh, so in order to get Regina to blast them with her full hatred, Emma's like, uh, by the way, Robin totally sucks, and the reason that he loves you is because you suck, too. And also, I meant to bring Marion over because I wanted to destroy your happiness, and I wanted you to watch me and Hook ugly make out all the time. And Regina shoots fire at her because, of course, she does. It's her move. And it turns into weird glowy light things and only hits their wrists and breaks the... Ribbons? Yeah. Yeah. Somehow the fire... You know, Emma I, took a hell of a leap thinking that this was going to happen. Yeah, I mean, by all rights, what should happen is that they should both be singed and dead, but without the bracelets. Yeah. But instead, it the fire broke into two little pieces and only hit the bracelet. And in all fairness... Regina seems kind of surprised by this, too. Anyway, then they just do, like, a Scooby-Doo run out of there because, you know. Yeah. Regina's not going to miss a second time. Well, first Emma throws her into a wall and then With they run. With light magic. With light magic. And Regina walks after it. This is a whole bunch of everyone forgetting they can teleport. Yeah, yeah. Regina could, yeah, Regina could be there in a second if she teleported. Also, just, you know, for those of you keeping track, this means that now the Evil Queen is on the loose, y'all. Evil Queen is on the loose. So, back at Regina's office, Hook showed up and he's all, Hey, Henry, I need you to come with me. Not because I'm giving you to Rumpelstiltskin, but for normal reasons. And Henry's like, suck my dick, asshole. Yeah, Henry's like, I didn't like you before when you were just a stupid pirate. And I don't like you now when you're boning my mom. Yeah. And Hook's like, well, if you won't let me in, I guess I'll use this magic potion Rumpelstiltskin gave me to break the protection spell. Yeah, you should have done that first. Yeah. Anyway, he trips on a bunch of marbles that Henry has laid out in front of the door, Home Alone style. And, I mean, that is quite a pratfall. I'm in pain just watching it. Ugh. 
You know what he should have put on the floor? I know it's marbles because he's a kid. Although, who has marbles? Right? No, what should he have put on the floor? A banana peel. Because I, I know it's like a standard hacky joke thing, but have you ever fell on a banana peel? I have never fallen on a banana peel, but I do know that it actually used to be a real problem because bananas used to be a really common street food. And people would eat them and just then just throw the peels in the street. And people slipping on banana peels was a real thing that happened all the time. Yeah, I, actually, back in Boston, it happened to me once, not in the street. You slipped on a banana peel. I slipped. The thing is, how old are you? Like, are you a hundred? Did you live in a time uh, period when there were banana peels just littering the streets? No, it was in my house. I can't remember if. Wait, there was a banana peel on the floor of your house. Yes, there was. <laughs> this I... was this was an undergrad. Uh, no. Oh, no, this wasn't in my horrible dorm I lived in. Uh, this was when I was living with my post-graduation roommate. Uh-huh. And I don't really remember the specifics of the situation. It might have been an accident. It might have been because we wanted to see if it was actually that slippery. But no, a banana will knock your ass to the ground. Well, I mean, it's really slippery. You've felt the inside. You, you know what the inside of a banana peel is like. Yeah. Yeah. But you just go, bam, down. You know, we just talked a lot about slipping on banana peels, a thing that doesn't happen in this episode. Yeah. That's he slips the, on marbles. He does slip on marbles. And Hook, when Hook gets up to chase after him, Will Scarlet shows up and he's like, hey, I'm super drunk and I'm going to get you for giving me a black eye for no reason. And Hook's like, okay, but you're super drunk. How about if I just pushed you lightly and then you fell into the wall and passed out? Wasn't Will Scarlet supposed to be looking after Robin's kid? Yeah, I think he was. God, where's Roland? The world's cutest child actor. Yeah. So Emma and Elsa entered the Ice Queen's lair, and she was just sort of casually hanging out behind a pillar, as is her wand. Okay, so here I have to assume that the whole plan with the spell of Shattered Sight was just to get Emma and Elsa to come to her. Which, again, like, dumb, right? She could have called them on the telephone. Ingrid's entire evil plot could have been replaced with a text message. Yeah. Especially, especially, okay, let's talk about the next scene, and then I will complain about Ingrid's plot some more. Back in the flashback, Ingrid and Emma have just finished their amazing day, and they're waiting for a bus, and Emma says that she wishes she could just apparate home like Harry Potter. Mm. Yeah. Remember that Chiron that said it's 1999? Yeah. She says she wish she could just she wishes she could just poof herself home like Harry Potter. Right, she doesn't say apparate. You know why she doesn't say apparate? Because it wasn't effing introduced by that point in the Harry Potter series. Also, Harry Potter was not that popular in 1999. It's conceivable that Emma had read the books, but not likely. I mean, it was a thing. I I remember. Uh, I remember. I ordered the uh, second and third book from England. Oh, I'm sorry. They still existed. Yes, yes. Of course, they existed, and people were reading them. Emma is in that. What's the opposite of a sweet spot? Emma is in that sour spot right now, where she would consider herself too old for Harry Potter. Yeah, actually, I think because because I was in college when Harry Potter came out, so I was past that, and it was like, oh my gosh, I'm really enjoying this. Yeah. Also, that's right. My timeline for Harry Potter is kind of off because, again, I ordered, like, we ordered the uh, second and third one from England back when they were still coming out earlier in England. Right. So... Four is the first one that came out simultaneous. 
So she's like one or two books in at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Anyway. So, so Apparition, not a thing, not a thing Harry could do. I mean. He did teleport off the roof in the first one. People did. We did. Did we see any teleportation? No. No. We, had, we hadn't seen. No. Well, he had the accidental magic thing when he was being chased and he ended up on the roof. No, I was just trying to wonder. I was just wondering if we had seen Dumbledore and McGonagall operate at that at this point, even though we hadn't heard the word apparition. Uh, well, the first book does open like with yeah. people mysteriously vanishing around Harry. He he talks about the strange people he'd meet sometimes, who would be really really excited to see him and then just disappear. Okay, but it's not really a common mode of travel that we see, and because the kids are too young to operate, they go to. Diagon Alley in the second book with flu powder. So, yeah. No, none of this. None of this. But please, please note, Emma is at least enough of a bookish child that she has sought out and read Harry Potter, even when she is in the sour spot where she shouldn't want to read it. Hmm. Anyway. So, Ingrid is really, really doing... Ingrid's reached the part of her plan where she kind of loses control of everything. Because she's pushing too hard. She's like, you like Harry Potter, don't you, Emma? Well, what if you were a fucking magic child and I'm going to prove that you are by shoving you in the middle of the street in front of a car that's coming right now? Yeah, she grabs her in front of a car and is like, use your magic, Emma! And Emma's like, nope, this, nope, nope, this is unreal. And she, you know, gets out from in front of the car and is... Flipping out at Ingrid. Well, yeah, Ingrid was literally stopping her from running away. She dragged her into the street and then held her there as a car was barreling towards them and was like, Use your power, Emma. Stop the car. And Ingrid is like, Look, I'm sorry. When I was a child, I had a traumatic experience and it awoke my powers. And I was trying to awaken your powers. And oops. And you know what? Young, bookish orphan teenagers are not receptive to hearing that they have super special magical powers yeah look i know that the story couldn't work if emma didn't freak out and run away from ingrid here which is what's about to happen but i kind of think emma would have stuck around yeah although i mean i get her being freaked out ingrid did nearly get her hit by a car but still yeah i mean and she brings up the harry potter thing again she's like you think I have powers like Harry Potter? And Ingrid's like, no, that's fiction. I'm the Snow Queen and you're the savior. Completely different, Emma. And Emma's like, okay, seems like if I hang out with you, I'm totally going to die later. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. You know what? Emma's a 14-year-old orphan. She probably would have sought out Harry Potter, now that I think about it. Mm. Yeah. But she'd have read it in secret because she's still too young for it to be cool. Old. No, actually, I did mean too young because I'm. it'll be cool again when she's in college. But no. you're right. She's both too old and too young. So back in the present, Regina bursts into the police station looking for Emma so she could kill her. But instead, she finds a caged, charming, and snow and is like, oh, that was a freebie. So I kind of love David here because he immediately sells out Mary Margaret. I know. He's like, um, she's the one who killed your lover by tattling to your mother. Regina is the character who speaks most to my heart because she tells them to shut up. And then she says that she's had enough of their whining. Yep. Yep. 
So, in order to get revenge on Mary Margaret for uh, taking her first true love from her, she's going to kill the baby. That doesn't make any sense. It's not equivalent. Like, if anything... Well, she knows she doesn't like David. (laughs) That's true. But I was going to say, if anything, what she should do is make the part of the prison that's between them disappear so that they can kill each other. Oh, I was thinking she should merge them into one body. Oh, those poor, poor bastards. Even David and Mary Margaret are not evil enough to deserve David and Mary Margaret. So Anna comes up to her and she's like, oh, I don't really know you, but I'm sure you're not. And then Regina's like, nope, done with you, and bamps her and Kristoff away. Yep, yep. So I actually didn't assume she was going to kill the baby. I thought she was just going to take it. Ooh, you know it would be a great punishment? To take the baby and then raise it to be evil and then have the baby go kill Snow White. Yeah. Also, okay, Snow White and David are feeling protective of the baby. Yeah, that shouldn't be. Yeah, so I guess the spell of Shattered Sight doesn't make you turn on your children, which is good because otherwise we'd be over here assuming that all of the people in Storybrooke had killed their children. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of people with babies in this town, as we saw a few episodes ago. Yeah. Anyway, Regina opens Mary Margaret's cage with magic, and Mary Margaret goads her into fighting with swords instead of magic, because... Because otherwise this would be over in about ten seconds, if that. So, would it be magic if she pulled out Mary Margaret's heart? Yeah, yeah, you can't you can't do that without magic. Well, but I mean, it's an inherent magical ability. It's not a spell. I think it would still be within bounds for the for the fight. Well, we also we've seen Regina survive being thrown thousands of feet into the air through a giant plate glass window. <laughs> so presumably, getting stabbed wouldn't be a huge deal for her. Wait, okay. Here's the real question, though. If she reached into Snow's chest and pulled out like the half of heart that Snow has left. Mm-hmm. Could she control David with that? Oh, and then she could have David kill Snow. Oh, that would be so much better. Oh, Regina should call us to ghostwrite her evil plans. So, in the past, Ingrid, who is dressed really weird. Well, Ingrid's dressed weird. Honestly, she looks a little bit like Snow. She's dressed weird because she's wearing a white sweater, but she's bundled up in a brown coat over that. I want to point out that is a sweater Emma also has. It's true. Although, I think they just wanted to put her in white. I don't know why they didn't put her in white overclothes. Hmm. Like, I know it's not easy to find white overclothes, but I'm also not the extraordinarily talented costume department of Once Upon a Time. Hmm. So she's standing at this random point in the woods when suddenly Storybrooke kicks in. Well, no, no, she's not. It's 2001. So Storybrooke has already existed. She, like, used the scroll to go to the place in Maine where Storybrooke is, and then somehow the scroll allowed her to enter it, even though it's at this point hidden from everyone else. Yeah, apparently the um, the Sorcerer's Apprentice gave her a whole bunch of objects to fill in plot holes. Yes. Because well, he gave her everything she needed. Like, he gave her a bunch of really specific stuff to... Well, the Sorcerer's Apprentice is in league with... So, it makes sense that he'd be like, Oh, shoot. What if there was a magical scroll that said, Stand here and then you'll be in Storybrooke? 
back in the present, Ingrid is giving a speechy speech. She's upset that Emma and Elsa destroyed the ribbons and that they're not life-bound anymore. But she's not too upset. She still thinks her terrible plan might work. And she pulls out the rocks. And she talks about how they're memory rocks. She's like, these are the memories I took from you. And the weird thing about memory is that the good things last, the good things endure, and the bad things have a way of falling away. Yeah, so presumably when she locked their memories in the rock, the bad stuff faded away and the good stuff got enhanced. I also want to point out that she's sitting on her chaise lounge with her knees up, and she's sitting on that Shay much the same way that she was sitting on the couch when she encountered Emma trying to leave on her first night. It's a really good staging. Yeah. You know, there's so much stuff that works for this episode. It's trying really hard to cover up how bad both Ingrid's plan is and the way Ingrid is defeated is. She gets up and she walks over to them and she does the same thing she did earlier with Emma, where she just lays out the situation. She's not giving them orders or directives or anything. She's just like, these are the facts. The facts are, you know how to stop me. And you could stop me if you wanted to, but you're not. Yeah, you haven't killed me. That means you're probably not going to. And you're definitely capable of it. Anyway, we cut away from this for one last flashback to 2011 when Emma was first in Storybrooke before the first curse was broken. Okay, so Emma comes into the ice cream shop to get ice cream for Henry. Henry's not with her, obviously, because then it would be... It would be way more complicated if Henry was with her. Yeah, seeing as that actor's been aging pretty consistently for the last few years. Oh, I actually meant because the memory spell would be more complicated. Oh, yeah. That is convenient. Also, I feel like Emma's wearing a leather jacket we've never seen before. It's kind of, like, blue and it has a white stripe on it. Oh, I I must contradict you. We have absolutely seen that leather jacket before, but not since, like, season two. Huh. Yeah. This is actually good continuity. I like it. I wonder what happened to it. Yeah. Anyway, she comes in and she recognizes Ingrid immediately as for, as her almost mother who tried to throw her in front of a car. And she's like, wait a second, you haven't aged and it's been like 10 years. Which is like, I'm sorry, have you not seen Lori Laughlin on Fuller House? Maybe she just has great moisturizer. Also, have you not seen you? Because it's 10 years, like you aged a lot in one year and then you stopped for a decade, so. Yeah, but she had glasses and then got rid of them. So what's weird about this scene is that Ingrid obviously expected that Emma would come in and they would work things out. And when that didn't happen immediately, she just ripped out all of Emma's memories. Yeah, she sort of jumped the gun on that, although I do understand. Yeah, I guess. So... She can't do magic, but luckily one of the other things she got was a memory-sucking stone. And as we know, magic items do work, even when there are no other, even when other magic doesn't. Maybe she has that stone because she got it from Mr. Gold after she got to Storybrooke. Maybe she went to him and asked him and used the word please. I think that only works for Regina at this point. Anyway, moot point. Emma has no memories, and she's come to pick up two pints of cherry vanilla. And Ingrid gives her an extra free pint of Rocky Road. Which was not an ice cream she asked for, or even gave any indication that she liked, but 
Apparently she does. I was just wondering why she's so obsessed with Rocky Road. She, she it, It's actually the title of an earlier episode, but I thought it was dumb then. I think it's dumb now. Yeah. Uh, anyway, here we are. <laughs> Rocky Road's fine. It's, it's I, don't, I don't like Rocky Road. I don't like chocolate ice cream. That's my big problem with Rocky Road. What? I mean, I already knew that about you. I, I just had to be indignant on behalf of the listeners. It's not very good. You know what's good? Vanilla ice cream with chocolate in it. That is good. Actually, you know, I like vanilla ice cream with fruit in it. Hmm. Also, I don't like nuts in ice cream, and so that's why I don't like Rocky Road. Oh. Uh. Nuts in ice cream, like, they're too hard for ice cream, which is soft. Like, I just, it doesn't, it doesn't work for me. So, David is watching uh, Snow and Regina fight, and he is getting super fucking horny. He is! Oh my god, he is so... so... Well, first they have a thing where she knocks over the stroller, and he's like, uh, don't do that, it's not under warranty, and Snow's like, I thought you got it new, and he's like, it's gently used, and Regina's like, shut up, shut up, shut up! Because she's us. Yes. Seriously, David watching their sword fight, the look in his eyes, ladies sword fighting must be the fake medieval time version of, like, jello wrestling. Oh, and the best part is when Snow gets backed against the wall, she wants to do the trick where you throw sand in the person's face, but they're in an office, so she throws a stack of papers at her, and it does nothing. It does literally nothing. She She grabs Regina, and Regina just sort of backs into her hard and knocks her back. It looks like Regina twerks Snow out of her way, Ugh. but then Snow throws her through a window, and then Regina starts using magic, because fuck it. Well, and Snow says, I thought we said no magic, and Regina says, I thought you were going to tell my mother about Daniel! And Snow says, I was ten, which, I'm sorry, young lady, we saw that flashback and you were not. You were like twelve if you were a day. I just love Maybe this- Maybe thirteen, like. I just love this scene so much. Anyway. David's obviously super into it in the back. I think he's supposed to look worried, but that's not the facial expression that's coming out. Yeah, Josh Dallas does not look worried. Josh Dallas looks something else. Anyway, it turns out Anna and Kristoff ended up on the beach because when Regina bamfed them away, she said for them to go back to where they came from. And that's, you know. The beach, I guess. Yeah, close enough. I mean, she did bamf them right next to the trunk. They're very lucky she didn't bamf them into the trunk back under the ocean. That would have been hilarious. Anyway, Kristoff rightly points out that before he fell in love with Anna, he had a totally normal life where the only person he talked to was his reindeer and also his rock troll family. And now all of a sudden he's dating a woman who has a sister who tries to kill everyone and an aunt who tries to kill everyone and also they got frozen for 30 years. Oh, and also before that, she kept on delaying their wedding for literally no reason. So it seems like she's sort of just jerking him around. Which, solid points, Kristoff. And Anna's like, I'm sick of listening to you, and hits him over the head with a convenient bottle on the beach. Okay, no, let's be fair. She doesn't hit him with the bottle because he's talking too much. That would be at least evil villain adjacent. She hits him with the bottle because he's going to try to swim back to Arendelle and that's not how portals work. And she doesn't want him to drown in the middle of the ocean. Instead, she wants him to drown on the beach when she knocks him unconscious and leaves him face down in the sand. Oh, Max, that's not going to happen. He's going to die of that concussion first. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's true. Hey, spoiler alert, hitting people so hard they fall unconscious is not healthy. Look... He's going to wake up with a concussion. Just kidding. He's not going to wake up at all. I mean, 
we shouldn't care because it's a trope. But honestly, if somebody is knocked unconscious for as long as people are knocked unconscious on TV and for as long as Kristoff is going to be unconscious, we are talking serious brain damage. And the only doctor available is Dr. Whale. Who, as a reminder, is a drunk who enjoys street harassing. Okay. I suppose neither one of those things are relevant to the practice of medicine. The drunk but... thing is. Hey, hey. I'm a pretty good surgeon when I'm sober, but I'm a master surgeon when I'm tanked. Hey, as long as we're talking about Dr. Whale, I should throw out there that when David and Mary Margaret were fighting before, uh, we didn't mention it, but David brought up the idea that Neil might be Dr. Whale's son. Which, good. I know, Neil should be so lucky. Fortunately, inside the bottle that Anna hit Kristoff with, is a letter that's going to fix the entire plot. Yep, it is the yellow crayon of letters to make an illusion. And Anna tells Kristoff's slowly internally bleeding corpse that... It's, not, it's a pre-corpse. Pre-corpse. So she tells him that this letter is going to magically solve all of their problem and runs off. Actually, leaving... wait, no, no. She tells him the letter's going to solve all their problems, and then she's like... Oh, you're unconscious. Never mind. I'll take care of it. BRB. And she runs off, leaving her fiancé a couple feet away from the ocean, face down in the sand. Yeah. Not great, Anna. Not great. So, back at the ice cave, Ingrid's like, Be my sisters. I'm gonna use magic on you. And Elsa's like, I can hurt her. And Emma's like, I can. I know. Emma's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just gonna blast her. But this is interrupted by Anna, whose plot convenience powers have kicked in. And she's like, I found this letter on the beach from our mom. Remember at the beginning of the season when our mom quickly wrote a letter and shoved it into a bottle and threw it into the ocean? Yeah, so I found this letter and it says, and it says, Dear girls, I might never reach you again because I'm probably going to die on this boat. But you should know we were wrong about Elsa. She's perfect the way she is. Also, I used to have a sister, and she was perfect the way she was, too. If you ever meet her, please tell her that I think she was perfect, and she should definitely not turn into an evil snow queen who tries to destroy an entire town so that she can make either you or Elsa and also some random other girl into her new sisters. You should go let her out of that urn, by the way. The end. Oh, also here are all of the memories of all of the townspeople of Arendelle. Let those be. You should give those back. My bad. So, this letter says all this and has all of the memories of the townsfolk or whoever. Yeah, she also also had the. she She stuck the memory stone to the letter with some sealing wax. Which, apparently, all of the townsfolk watched. Ingrid and her sisters frolicking as children. You think they would have seen the bit where the guy tried to abduct them and do something to stop that, but... Yeah, no, it is a real problem that the memories that are in that stone are just all flashbacks to things we've already seen. But the stuff we saw had only the three sisters, no one else. Yeah. I mean, I guess they could have been Gerda's memories, but clearly she still had those, so... Yeah, yeah. So Ingrid starts force-striking her because she's like, yeah, I really don't believe you. It's pretty convenient, don't you think? But she grabs the letter from her and she reads it and she's like, 
Oh. Oh, I really easily could have avoided this entire situation. Okay, wait. So, since, like, all joking aside, she really could have avoided this situation if she had waited until the curse was broken, gone to Emma, told her the story, given her her memories back, and been like, I'm so sorry I scared you. I'm from the Enchanted Forest. I knew who you were. I pushed too hard because I was excited to, like, meet you and have you be my daughter. And I'm sure Emma would have been fine with her at that point. Yeah. Or, to backtrack further, if when she'd come out of the urn, she had just told Elsa what had happened. If she was like, I lost control of my powers and I accidentally killed one of my sisters... Like, I want to teach you so the same thing doesn't happen to you. You're the only family I have, and I need you. You know how easy it is to lose control. Ingrid had so many chances to not fuck this up. Honestly, I know she has ice powers, but her real superpower is getting in her own way. So she's like, oh, it turns out I was really, really stupid, and my plan made no sense. So I'm going to suck all of the mirror shards into myself and then explode. Well, the problem is, apparently the only way to stop the spell of Shattered Sight is for her to die. And just because she's not angry with anyone anymore, that hasn't changed. So she has to sacrifice herself, I guess? Yeah, and again, this is some good acting from Ingrid. Like, she's really selling this. She's building up legitimate sympathy for a character who's been pretty awful okay i this is actually making me really mad okay she's dying in actually a really bad cgi effect of the of the mirror surround of the mirror shards enveloping her it's it's not necessarily bad it just looks really dumb i mean it it, it looks dumb um she's sacrificing herself to save everyone because she realizes that oops it turns out that I was a monster. But that wasn't because of my powers. It's just because I don't know how to react to basic situations. Right. But of all of the evil characters on this show who deserve a redemption arc, Ingrid deserves a redemption arc. Instead, she's just dead and we never see her again. You know who deserves a redemption arc a hell of a lot less than Ingrid? Uh, Rumpelstiltskin? Yes. You know who else? Frankly, Regina. Oh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm never going to argue against that, but no. Mm, mm, well, we're not there yet, Set, but we will yeah. be. They brought the wrong back. I do want to point out, before she explodes, she returns Elsa and Emma's memories to them, the memories she took, the memories of their time together. Yeah, and so Emma gets to remember that she loved Ingrid as a mother, just for a second before Ingrid dies. Well, and she tells Ingrid, she says, No, you can't do this. It's my job as the savior to give everyone a happy ending. And and Ingrid's like, Well, you are my sisters. You are my family and I love you. And seeing you, knowing that you're going to be there for each other, knowing that you finally found a family, even if it's not with me, that is my happy ending. And then she explodes. I mean... It's... All right, I guess. That's the thing. It's touching, and it's also completely goddamn unearned. 
Well, yeah. Ugh. It's it's both unearned and unfair. Like, there was a lot of potential with the Ingrid storyline, so the fact that the ending was so dumb is bothersome both because it's so dumb and also because, you know what, you you could have just brought her back again and we could have done some... Uh, anyway. So everyone hugs. Ingrid explodes into snow, which gets everyone in Storybrooke high? Okay, so I don't think the snow is getting people high. I think that the snow is removing the spell, and people are high because the spell was such a force on their psyche that when it goes away, it's like, if you're a person who gets migraines that like last all day, or two or three days in a row, when that migraine finally goes away, you feel euphoric and you feel a little high and i think that's what everyone is experiencing yeah oh i was wrong the man in white is there when although he books out right before everyone starts hugging and freaking out in a joyous way yeah he stumbles away so that we don't see his face the snow comes and interrupts grumpy from choking sneezy out yeah and dopey the, sh- the spell of Shattered Sight, as we can see, is lifted from him. And he sticks out his tongue to catch snowflakes on his tongue. Those are though- Ingrid. Yeah, that's Ingrid. That's Ingrid's freaking, like, soul or psyche or something. I don't know. One of the things I like about this is that we actually don't ever see Dopey attacking anyone during the whole Mishigas. You think Dopey has, like, no evil in his heart? Maybe. I mean... When we see him, he's just trying to ignore everyone around him. He's not engaging. And we saw the other dwarves trying to provoke him, and we got nothing. Which makes me, again, why don't we ever get focus on the dwarves? But eh. The dwarves deserve their own show. They do. But not Doc. Doc's creepy. As soon as the spell breaks, he turns to Granny and then dives headfirst into her breasts. Yeah, he runs in to give her a hug in that, like, creepy way that creepers do. Yeah. And he puts his head, like, right on her bosom. Not good. Inappropriate. Not good. So, Mary Margaret and Regina are... Okay, the the weird thing is, when we left them off, Regina was about to use magic on Snow, but when we cut back, they're with the swords again. Yep. Yeah, pretty convenient if you ask me. And Regina seems to not know why she's wearing the evil queen outfit. Yeah, so the Shattered Sight did affect Regina differently than everyone else. This is not tracking, but whatever. We'll talk about that a lot more in like two seasons. So Emma and Elsa and Anna are walking down the center of town. Arm in arm, like sisters. Yeah, like 12 people are out and about and hugging. We definitely saw more people at the beginning of this, but... Eh. Well, I... Henry runs up to Regina, which I love. Henry shows up and he runs up to Regina. And the baby finally wakes up because apparently he was asleep the whole time. Eh. I don't know. And David and Mary Margaret make out and everyone in town watches them and applauds because this is always how this sort of thing ends. And then everyone clapped. Ugh. David and Mary Margaret decide that because they were under curse, none of the very real things that they said to each other count. I do like how Regina is ignoring them by hugging Henry off to the side. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, Belle's lazy ass apparently slept through this whole thing. I know Rumpel probably put a spell on her or something, but... Yeah, she's in the back of Mr. Gold's shop, still asleep, when Hook shows up and is like, yeah, I didn't catch Henry, he got away. Okay, and... 
And I love Robert Carlyle so much here because he can do dry like no one else. He goes, so you failed at kidnapping a child. And Hook says, I guess my heart just wasn't in it. Boo. <laughs> hey, I like it. Yeah, no, it's it's cute. But Rumpel's like, luckily your massive incompetence doesn't really matter because the Snow Queen was also massively incompetent. So, like... Yeah. I'm probably going to kill you later. Well, he says, yeah, well, we we know he's going to kill Hook because he needs to destroy the heart as part of the spell that he's supposed to cast tomorrow night to sever himself from the dagger. And he's going to kidnap Henry and Belle and take him over the town line and cast the spell, be cleaved from the, be cleaved from the dagger. Basically, his plan hasn't changed. Yeah. And Hook is like, as my dying wish, just don't hurt Emma or anyone else in Storybrooke. And he's like, yeah, I'm not going to hurt Emma or anyone in Storybrooke. I can't say the same for the rest of the world. Which looks like, I don't give a fuck. Also, what? Why are you? What? Who cares? Like, not who cares. Like, why Why are you in vet? I don't get what Rumpel's up to. I mean. Like, are you just announcing that you're going to be evil for the sake of being evil? Because that's not your deal. You're not evil for the sake of being evil. You are evil for the sake of being powerful. Like. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, I don't get what he has to gain from this. I mean, I get him severing himself from the dagger, but why bother leaving Storybrooke? Well, I guess no, I no, can yeah, see yeah. why leaving Storybrooke. Yeah. Why I why say the thing where, oh, the rest of the world has me to worry about? No, just like go to New York and drink nice wine and enjoy being somewhere that's not Storybrooke. Oh my god, if I was just in New York City with the person I loved with, like, infinite magical powers... I wouldn't hurt anyone. I'd just, like, magic myself up a really nice apartment and go see shows every night. I guess I might kick someone else out of their really nice apartment if I had magic instead of mystically making one for myself. Okay, one person. And that's the end of this... Chapter. Chapter. That's the end of this arc. And let's... I mean... I'm gonna call it best arc since the first one. Yeah. It was concise. It didn't waste time on anything the character motivation made sense even if a lot of what they did didn't i mean this is i think probably one of the most solid if not the most solid story they ever did discount of course discounting the first episode yeah yeah so uh were there any direct frozen references in this episode i don't think so outside of Kristoff talking about his life beforehand and and also david talking about Kristoff being an ice man yeah which doesn't get brought up all that much, but also it. This is backtracking a lot, but it made no sense that the royal marshal or whatever back in uh, Arendelle was shit talking Kristoff for being a ice merchant when that's literally what their entire economy is based on. But I think they're also a fishing. Uh, I think they're also a fishing principality. I guess I could see that. So, uh, fashion corner. Okay, I really like. I really liked Ingrid's real-world mom get-up, I guess I would say. Okay. She has this very specific, non-threatening woman of a certain age apparel going on when she's looking after Emma. Especially the bit where she's sitting on a couch. It's Yeah, she's wearing a lot of white and a lot of knitted white. It works really well with her. For her, it's true. And on the other end of the spectrum... Regina's outfit. I mean, we got some classic evil queen, and I think it's an evil queen dress we've never seen before. Yeah, it had sort of a short spiked collar, which I really liked. 
And it had... Um, it, it had sort of a punk aesthetic more than her stuff usually does. It did. You know, and the, bla- the, and the back of it was all black, but with like just a little detailing across the back of the neck of diamonds. Hmm. As opposed to kind of the completely blinged out thing that it usually is. Yeah. Also, even though we got the Evil Queen... We did not get the terrible high pony. Thank God. Instead, we just got a kind of bouffanty thing. What was that? I, I like, like it. a beehive up on top of her head thing. Yeah, it looked good. And also, when she was fighting with snow and a few tendrils were coming out, looked good. Yeah, it was a good look for her. Not that she ever looks bad, but so that's it for Aunt Annihilation. And next, we have the three witches, which. This is going to be the first thing that isn't directly a relative thing. Yeah, that's true. I think our next chapter should be, uh, I think we should call our next chapter Operation Mongoose. Hmm. I would like to take suggestions from our listeners on this. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it was Cassidy who uh, who gave us the idea for Aunt Annihilation. So those of you who know what's coming up, if you have an idea for the next chapter, go ahead and tweet it at us. Oh, speaking of... Rankin and Bass's The Easter Bunny is Coming to Town is the Easter special that I vaguely remembered from childhood last week. Thank you, everyone, who let me know that. Like, genuinely, thank you. I am super psyched to watch it again and see... How it holds up. Yeah, that's not quite the phrase I want to use, but yeah, let's go with that. Let's go with how it holds up. So, if you'd like to contact us, uh, you can contact us via Twitter at I Love TV Zines. Or you can email us at ilovetelevisionzines at gmail.com. Also, if you want to talk about this episode, uh, you can go over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash ilovetelevisionzines. So until next time, I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And this has been Welcome to Storybrooke. Emerald City Comic Con Edition. (laughs) 